Hello there, dear listeners. I am so excited to be officially introducing the first real, true episode of the Into a Larger World podcast. I am talking in this episode with Brandon Wynerdy, who is a friend as well as a really awesome creator with a really, really cool fan story. So Brandon is also the host of an amazing podcast called Talking Bay 94, where he basically exclusively talks to people who help make Star Wars. If you have not checked it out, you absolutely have to. And he also writes for the magazine star wars insider a bunch of really 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 great pieces and he's been doing some wildly awesome stuff for starwars.com so if you go to the show notes for this episode you'll find all those things linked so you can check them out after you listen to us chat about it a little bit i am so excited for you to hear this episode i'm so excited for everything that's ahead thank you for being here and i'm cara dj you're listening to into a larger world the podcast. That's good. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Brandon, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, We heard a little bit about you in the intro, and I am so, so excited to be talking to you about Star Wars fandom and about your Star Wars journey. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Too kind. I I, I haven't heard the intro, but I'm sure sure it was really nice. Uh, (laughs) So thank you. Yes, I covered all the bases. Oh, good. Um, good. So... Let's just start at the beginning, which is the best place to start. By the way, I was on a podcast with you once before. I know. On Blast Point's Patreon, talking about the phenomenal documentary, The Beginning. The Beginning. So it all it all works out. It all it all comes it all comes full circle. It always does. Uh, so, what was your Star Wars entry point? So I was very lucky in the sense that I'm a special edition kid, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, a lot of people saw Star Wars in 77 and they talk about the Star Destroyer and it's like, oh, that's great. But I was able to see Star Wars in in 97 and then a month later see Empire and then a month later see Jedi as if they're like brand new things. And so the toys are out, the fast food promotions were out and it was like Star Wars was new and real and then you go from that to then the prequels immediately, really, in terms of the hype. And then it's just nonstop Star Wars since um, being able to experience everything from the prequels to the Disney era. And it's been really nice. But yeah, the first thing was the special editions, was A New Hope, and was just kind of really diving headfirst into all of that when I was five. So yeah, not, you know, uh, I think it's a nice little time. Uh, to start a Star Wars journey, and then it has not stopped since 25 years later. Yeah, it really hasn't. And um, <laughs> were you in right away? Like, did it grab you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, um, it's very interesting. As a kid, I think all of us as kids, like, you, you do gravitate towards things, and they become your thing. And so before Star Wars, it was Toy Story. I was, like, a big Toy Story kid for, like, a year or two, right? And then before that was just, like, the normal you know, kids stuff, the Barneys and all that stuff. 
But then as soon as Star Wars became the thing, that was pretty much the only thing. <laughs> like, that was the thing. Um, I bought all the toys. I, I That's what I got for Christmas every year after that. That's what I dressed up as for Halloween. That was pretty much all I did um, for a very long time. And it kind of, it got me, it got me then and it did not let go. So the prequels were big. They were big for all of us, but I yeah. I get that. I think that was, like, such a good time to be a kid fan because yeah. those movies were so, like, obviously, especially having in Phantom Menace the younger main character that yeah. you can, like, identify with. That's full speed ahead. It was yeah. huge. Yeah. It, and it was so weird because, again, that was also the advent of the internet, right? Uh, especially right after Phantom Menace. And I was, you know, precocious tech-oriented kid and so then that was really we're talking fandom that's really where the fandom really blossomed for me was seeing how people were talking about it online seeing what they were thinking about episode two or three what that was going to be like but it was my first kind of experience with being like oh people don't like this right and it was a very odd thing for me where i was just trying to figure out why and what people liked and for a long time i was like oh yeah the prequels are not as good as the originals blah 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 because of everything that i was seeing at such a young age but you you come to realize and what we've all come to realize is like it is just generational and it is just kind of how people experience things over time is very much a product of their environment and also their age and so um, but yeah, that was kind of the first major stepping stones for my fandom was kind of getting on the forums, getting on the force.net and starwars.com and just kind of like figuring out like what, what being a fan, you know, in the early two thousands looked like for a 10 year old. And do you have like, um, I call it the Tobias Beckett from solo. You're in this life for good moment where it was like, you know, like you're, you're a fan, but then something happens and you're like, Oh, I'm. I'm a certain type of, I'm a certain type of fan. <laughs> That's a great question, because I, I I wonder, it's hard for me to distinguish just being a kid and being a fan of stuff, right? And you are enveloped with all types of pop culture, right? You're watching Disney Channel or Nickelodeon, whatever it is, and it's like that's all you're doing is really just like absorbing the pop culture around you. And for the longest time, like Star Wars was just that element of pop culture that I knew the best or that I was reading the most. And so it must probably have been fifth or sixth grade, which would be right around like Attack of the Clones, I bet, was right when when that all hit. And that's probably when I was like, yep, okay, like now that there are more coming out and that I'm really spending all of my time reading these books and, and watching these movies and talking about them and my friends kind of started to know me as like the Star Wars guy. And I think that's probably where it, that's where it diverges, right? When you, when you stop, cause everyone likes Star Wars, right? All the, all, right. I went to an all boys, all boys Catholic school, right? 40 boys in my class. So you have to imagine that every single one of those kids was excited about Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like totally. it wasn't like, uh, but then you, then you branch off further and you're like, okay, well I'm the only one reading the new Jedi order. Like, okay, that's a little bit different than, than them. And uh, you know, not a bad way, but just in a very different way in terms of how we were experiencing things. And I think that's probably when once I started being around kids my own age who were also watching Star Wars, and I was like, oh, I'm I'm gravitating t- towards this a little bit different than than a lot of them are. I did have a few friends that were very much into it and read all the books with me, and and that was very nice, a very nice thing to experience too was having those first friends that were also kind of freaks about star wars (laughs) yeah it's good to have someone to share it with when you get into the real crazy and um did you go to any early celebrations when you were younger or 
I went to Celebration 4, uh, 2007, Los Angeles, 30th anniversary of Star Wars. Is that right? Yeah, 30th anniversary yeah. of Star Wars. And I don't know how I convinced my, my parents to let me go, but we flew out as a family trip. My uncle was living out in L.A., so we went and visited him, and then we went to Celebration a couple of the days. And it was crazy. It was it was truly insane. Because uh, how old was I? I was probably, I can't do math on the fly. I was probably 13 or 14 um but i saw Irvin Kirshner talk i saw Lauren Peterson talk like it was just like i was like oh like this is this is great and it was just like so much fun but i was also very lucky because celebration was great but i was almost spoiled because the company that put on celebration it's called official picks or at least they put on the autograph hall and they they did it for the first few and then they did not for a couple and tops was doing it and now they actually the most recent one they ran again in London. I think also in, in Anaheim, they ran it again, but official picks was based in Dallas, which is where I grew up and where I lived. And during the off years of celebration, they would have what they called star Wars fan days and star Wars fan days was pretty much a mini star Wars celebration, but at a much smaller venue. And they would bring in these crazy guests. It'd be like Carrie Fisher, uh, Ben Burt. Like it was just like crazy, crazy, uh, Robert Watts, like crazy people would come in. And that convention was one mile away from where I grew up, which is insane at the Plano Center. Insane. Um, and so I would go to those. And I did not realize how lucky I was to to be that close. I mean, because like, there were conventions all over the, the country. But like it was an official Star Wars convention. It is on StarWars.com for announcements and blah, blah, blah. And like they really did so much during those times. And one of the last ones I went to, I came back from college? No, I'm still, I guess I was a senior in high school and I made my friends go because that was the, the couple weeks after the Clone Wars movie had come out and, um, they were like, Hey, for $30, you can get a Clone Wars poster, like a theatrical Clone Wars poster, the double-sided, uh, and then we have the entire cast here and they'll just sign it for you. And I'm like, okay. So that's like, it was like, no one cared and everyone was crapping on that. Right. And then Dave Filoni came, like, it was crazy. And so like. I got everyone to sign it, and then Dave Flynn was just walking around. No one was bothering him or anything, but I reckon, you know, I, and so I went up and asked him to sign my poster, and his wife was there, or maybe, I'm pretty sure it was, I'm pretty sure it was Anne, but, I, but whoever was there was so, like, surprised that someone was asking for his autograph. Like, it was that early on. It was so, anyway, and I still have it, and he did a little sketch of Captain Rex, like, really, like, crazy stuff, and again, one mile away from my house, so I, I, I'm extraordinarily lucky in that sense because that is truly that's truly insane that is a great example of like exactly why i'm doing this podcast because i have never heard of that yeah star wars fan days it is you 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 if you dig more and more into it you you'll be so surprised because again it was all officially licensed there are uh, the the things that were there were so so intricate and so specific and the, the guy who ran it ben stevens is is um he now runs uh, drew struzan's gallery in flower mound um which is again a fantastic place crazy crazy times that that really impacted me because again we've gotten to a point where you can talk about fandom currently or whatever it is but with conventions specifically i grew up and i loved collecting autographs and meeting people and blah 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 but then as a kid, it was relatively attainable because it was $20 autographs, $15 autographs. And the lines weren't that crazy. The only crazy lines would be like, if Carrie Fisher came, like, okay, yes, like this line's about to get nuts. But for the smaller people, right, you could go up and, and bug them for $20, you know, and as a 
12 year old, that's all you want to do. Right. And so, um, it was a really fantastic time that now the cheapest star Wars autograph is like a hundred bucks, 120 bucks. Like Ashley Eckstein's 150. She's coming to Austin. She's $150. And the line is still crazy. And like, I get it and like, get the money, but it is a, a very different, um, kind of experience now for, for a lot of fans that again, I was very lucky because, like, I want to uh, that convention in October in Austin. We don't get that many conventions, surprisingly, but that one has a really great, especially Star Trek lineup. And my cousin um, loves Star Trek, and I was like, "Oh, it'd be fun for us to go." And you know, it's a bunch of the Next Generation crew, blah blah blah. And so I'm trying to figure that out now. But like, all their autographs are like sixty, seventy dollars. And so like, if we want to meet one, like that will probably be like one of them. Like that's it, you know. And so it's just an interesting new dichotomy um with with fandom and how how it has become mainstream in a sense and again that's it when i had my panel and you were in the audience like it is something that i gravitate towards now of more specific more fan driven more unique items to collect or to be a part of and have that voice that's not just again black series is great and blah 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 but like there is there is something about getting something that's specific that's unique that's that's interesting rather than something that's mass produced um which you know fandom has really grown and uh that's just an element of it at this point that's so true yeah and the 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 world of like autograph collecting is so interesting i've been researching celebration like really intensely for hopefully it's probably going to be like a lifelong project of trying to like <laughs> collect people's like pictures and stuff um, yeah. but I know I read that at uh, celebration four during the opening ceremonies they gave everybody cake. Oh yeah, I was not at the opening ceremonies. Yes, but for the thirtieth, yeah. Again, it was a very fandom-driven thing, and one of the people that I'm sure you'll talk to, but also that was a very big part of those early years, was kind of the combo of Steve Sansweet and I think her name is Mary Franklin. And they really were very on top of being a part of that fan community and kind of just like making it feel like small Lucasfilm, right? And I think that's what, you know, I'm a big fan of Disney Star Wars. I think they've done a lot of great things. But one of the things that did happen, obviously, was like the corporatization of Lucasfilm was inherent with that. And, you know, there are benefits from that. There are drawbacks from that. But those early, especially the the early days of the prequels and then also my favorite time for star wars is that like 2005 to 2012 period where there was just no new star wars really besides clone wars and it was just like it was just the wild wild west uh but that was a kind of the lucasfilm kind of returned to feeling like a a family company again because there was just kind of like we got to get into the rose parade we got to sponsor a nascar car like it was just like stupid stuff like that that uh, i think is so funny I think it's funny that you consider that a favorite time because I feel like, I mean, not for me, but I feel like people might look back on it as like the Angry Birds time or the M&M's Oh, yeah, it's a dark time. time. It's a dark time. You know, it's, it, 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 but it's so fascinating when there's no new Star Wars, which is something that I maybe will never happen again. Like, I, you know, it's so weird. It's so true. Because right now it's kind of a... a uh, a slow time for Star Wars, quote unquote. There's no new movie. There's just a couple TV shows, but it is just like a nonstop. Every three, four months, here's a new Star Wars, which is very exciting. But but at a time, uh, you know, people like to refer to like the Thrawn trilogy time as like the dark times, right? When that first was all coming back um, before the special editions, and then that 2005 time after Revenge of the Sith is a very similar time. 
um, and how it was handled is very different. And, you know, I'd be very curious of how Star Wars would have progressed without the Disney buyout. Would we still be in that dark time, sort of? Like, would we still be just running around playing Star Wars Angry Birds? You know what I mean? Like, what would that have looked like? Um, And so for better or for worse, like, it did end something. But there is is something special about that moment and StarWarsShop.com and Hyperspace, all these little things that are you know i'm glad you're doing the research because they're kind of lost to time a lot like i i've been trying to find and maybe you'll find it during uh, i'm trying to find a list of all the starwarshop.com exclusive items because there was some weird stuff some really crazy weird stuff and i would love to buy some of that you know now because it was things like the jawa um garden gnome like that's a stupid thing that should not have existed right or uh, i have this uh, next to me still uh they, they did like a replica of the empire strikes back clapperboard for the 30th you know like this it's so cool and again like we, we've gotten we've gotten stuff like that now with shop disney and we're getting to a point where there's some weird stuff which is nice um but i really i really can't remember what else there was and you have to kind of look in old insiders you have to find some stuff because there was some weird stuff back then that, again, because there was nothing else to promote, they were able to kind of explore the depths of Star Wars in a way um, that hadn't really been done before, which I, I really love. So That's true, like making the figures for the more obscure, like Will Rohan yeah. gets a name and a figure. Yeah, you know. and the comic book packs were crazy, you know? They're like, oh, we're just going to make characters based on these one-off issues of comic books. And I love all Expanded Universe lines, just like when they make the clone wars animated line but it's as if they're in live action you're like that's fun like i don't know like it's it's fun stuff that again the bummer of the black series and the nature of how toy collecting has to go now is you aren't able to dive as deep with the you know when you're doing mandalorian season three and then you immediately have to promote the next star wars thing mandalorian season three figures only get a certain amount of time of relevancy so you're not able to be like okay now we're gonna do the 15th cantina alien you know like you have to kind of just do the main people and move on and so you know as someone that just like is obsessed with the weirdos the weirdos are not getting as much product anymore um so we're getting there but one day so when did your fandom start to grow for the behind the scenes aspect and that'll kind of segue us into our next topic when did that start to be like a focus for you yeah it it was pretty early, and it, it, I, I I always try to frame it in a way that's not like snobbish because it's not snobbish, but it is like when the VHS of the special editions came out before the special edition of A New Hope, which is the only one I was allowed to own because the other ones were too dark, too too uh, too evil. But it starts with a cut down version of Anatomy with Duback, as well as some other talking head interviews with like Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and George Lucas, and I was like, oh this is pretty cool guys this is pretty neat um and like they had dennis murin interviews blah 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 and it was only five minutes but it really kind of captured my imagination and i need to pull out the videos because my parents still have them they'll send, but i started making stop motion videos pretty early which is like bad stop motion again i'm six years old so, and like you know trying to move my action figures in a way that makes sense and that really kind of started my love of movie making in general which was kind of promulgated, like I said, like my mom, uh, my mom's great, and but she was very 
controlling when it came to the content I was consuming. Like, I wasn't able to watch PG-13 movies, but I wasn't <laughs> able to watch Harry Potter or Pokemon, all that stuff. You know, so it was like, okay. And what I gravitated towards was, like, the making of the movies that I wasn't able to watch um, in books or from the library or from behind-the-scenes documentaries, whatever it was. Uh, it was kind of... I, I really loved watching the special features and kind of understanding things and almost creating a vocabulary for myself without watching anything, if that makes sense. And then again, George Lucas's passion for filmmaking and for the the education of filmmakers really comes into play then when the episode one DVD comes out and the beginning comes out and then it's just kind of nonstop from there and all StarWars.com is is behind the scenes. And so really it almost felt second nature. It felt like a no-brainer to also be a fan of the, the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, and then from pretty early age, during Attack of the Clones era, then I started reading Insider, and that was a big component of that was the Rick McCallum stuff, and that really kind of showcased all the different artists that were working on everything. And also during that time, during the prequels, especially starting with Episode 2, um, I was really hyper-aware of all of the behind-the-scenes content that they were pushing out during the actual filming, which we did not really get in the past 10 years for various reasons, but they were so open to what was happening and to showing off stuff and just being dumb. And they didn't show that much. They would talk to an extra in the back of the Outlander Club. Like, it wouldn't really matter in the grand scheme of the plot, but they were very open about, like, how fun this is and what's going on and then the hyperspace webcam for episode three. Like, it was just, like, all this crazy, very in-depth how movies are made. And I really latched on to that. And then at the same time, Lord of the Rings was coming out and they were also very similar to showing off all that and the appendices there. Um, and then I was really into DVDs and buying DVDs and renting DVDs and watching the special features for a variety of movies. And so it all kind of just kept laddering up. Uh, and again, just became kind of a second nature component to how I consumed anything it was also figuring out how they made it. That makes sense. And I am obsessed with the hyperspace webcam, by the way. I <laughs> just, I think about it all the time. Anyway, <laughs> so Talking Bay 94, your wonderful podcast started... Did, I think I saw recently you celebrated five years. Five years, yeah. That's awesome! Congratulations. Uh, uh, it's thank you. Yeah, uh, it, it is crazy to have been doing it for five years and in an off and on manner in the past couple. But but it all started kind of from from those conventions we were talking about. Where again, I was very lucky where I got to like meet all these random people, and like I was Facebook friends with Matt Wood or whatever it is. Like it's just like weird stuff that you would do as a kid just to like, and again, it was so open. It was so accessible. Um, but I had at least gotten to know a couple of the managers, a couple of whatever. And so I knew how everything worked. And, uh, after last Jedi came out, I was like all high on star Wars. Like I, I was like, okay, like star Wars is back, baby. Like this is it. And I was like, I wonder if there's any star Wars podcasts out there. And I've told the story, but I found blast points and I listened to, 50 blast points episodes within like two three weeks and i was like this is the best like this is it this is what i like about star wars and during that time i was running a, a pop culture website with a buddy uh and i texted him and i was like hey uh we should do a star wars podcast and i talked through it a little bit but then i, I kind of realized like there's a lot of star wars podcasts and there, there are still a lot of star wars podcasts and i didn't want to just kind of talk about the, the latest whatever or you know speculate or talk about news every week and so um, I was also really into, and I still really am, into, like, the Mark Marins, um, the the really in-depth conversations and kind of going to that love of behind the scenes and, and me kind of figuring out that there was a small space that got me excited. 
uh, we kind of just kind of went for it and I reached out to some people and did the first few episodes and then have not really uh, looked back since. So it's been a fun, a fun five years, which is crazy. Well, everyone who's listening to this has probably listened to your show, but if they haven't, I made a brief list of some of the people, some of the people that you've spoken to. You've talked to J.W. Rinsler, Timothy Zahn, Nick Gillard, Tim Rose, (laughs) Misty Roses, Mike Quinn, Emily Swallow, Steve Sansweet, (laughs) Sam Witwer, Terrell Whitlatch, which that one I... I, yeah, that one is crazy. Yeah. She's like such an icon to me. <laughs> Matt Martin, Phil Tippett, yeah. Dennis Murin, yeah. Kirk Thatcher, <laughs> Howard Kazanji. I mean, yeah. and the list yeah. truly goes on and on and on from yeah, there. That's crazy. It, I always, I kind of forget who I've talked to, honestly. Uh, I could see that. Because there's, so, I mean, 150 episodes now, which is, again, I, I, you know, just talking frankly with you, it's like, I, I don't know when when to shut it down like i don't like is there a time like you know what i mean like is there a time to stop or is there time to just kind of do it whenever which is kind of what i'm doing now it's like i only really post when i'm like interested enough to like reach out to someone i think that's a sweet spot you know yeah and so it's just kind of a weird a weird time but it is funny to do that and then and then with all the insider stuff that's been happening too and and other projects a lot of other stuff has kind of taken focus and i've been able to talk to those people you know, like what I try to, and we can talk about insider, but what I try to do for insider, and I think I'm supposed to do it, but I've never gotten that clarification, but I'd never interview someone for insider and then like take that recording and post as an episode or whatever. I don't double duty it. It's like, if I talk to you, it's for one or the other. And so I've talked to some really, really cool people for those two. And it's weird them not being like a talking bay conversation. Like again, like I talked to Ben Burt two weeks ago, three weeks ago for return for Star Wars.com return of the Jedi, which was crazy. And like, I have the recording, right? Cause I had to transcribe it and post it for Star Wars.com. But I'm like, that's, you know, that's a hell of an interview, uh, uh, with him and Randy Tom, but it is, it is a print only thing. It's a very different thing. And so, um, it's just been a weird, a weird few years, but it's been a very, um, I, I, I am probably the most proud of, of talking Bay and everything that's come from that than probably anything I've done, professionally or anything like that so definitely and obviously i would never ask you for a favorite episode because i know that's impossible but (laughs) do you have any moments that like stand out to you as being like extra jaw-dropping like specifically as a a fan like i can't believe i'm hearing this type vibe (laughs) you you mentioned timothy zahn and that's still kind of like there's not a moment like because i don't think talking bay's ever like quote-unquote made it but Timothy Zahn was very early in the podcast. It was uh, we had launched in May, and then we went. Me and my producer Jason went to Comic Con in, in July for work. Um, and during when I was going to be there, it was you know I was there for a brand, and I had reached out to a book um, a bookstore in Dallas that was about to bring Timothy Zahn the next week to Dallas to talk about. Uh, I think it was the first Thrawn book, the first new Thrawn book. Uh, and I was like, oh, I'd love to interview him for whatever, uh, to promote your appearance, you know, local Dallas, local Dallas, let's do it. And he was like, okay, I'll patch you in with Delray. And Delray was like, oh, if you're going to be at Comic-Con, he'll be at Comic-Con. And I was going to be at Comic-Con. And so I'd been trying to meet Timothy Zahn for literally my entire life, like since I was reading the Thrawn books at the library in fifth grade, right? And then he had come to Dallas once, or maybe twice, and I'd been out of town or something like that, um... And so I've never been able to meet him. And he's like one of my favorite authors. 
And so finally, like the time that I finally first get to meet Timothy Zahn is going backstage at Comic-Con at the Delray booth. And it's just me and my producer, Timothy Zahn and his wife. And we just hang out for 45 minutes and he talks about whatever. And I'm like, okay, like, great, we did it. And uh, and so, yeah, that was kind of like, if, if the podcast has ended right then, that might have been like the the highlight of it all. And so um, that was kind of the first moment where I was like, oh, I could like... I could maybe do something really cool with this if I keep keep going at it. So that's awesome. And I know you you just mentioned Insider, and I know you talked to Timothy's on for Insider as well, right? Yeah, yeah. That was that was also my first Insider piece. Oh, it was. That was, was my Timothy's question. On. Yeah, that was my first Insider piece because I how Insider works is I pitch a bunch of pieces at like the beginning of the year, beginning of a cycle. It's probably like twenty pieces of varying. Some of them are one-on-one, some of them are oral histories, some of them are recaps or, you know, anniversaries, whatever it is. Um, and then over time, my editor reaches out to me and he's like, hey, you've been approved for this, you've been approved for this. And then a lot of the time it's, can you do this for me, can you do this for me, or whatever. So it works out in that way. But one of the things I pitched was, I guess that would be the 30th anniversary of Heir to the Empire, was a, a few years ago. And I was like, I'd love to interview Timothy Zahn for that. And and they approved it and they patched me through to Timothy Zahn. And the Timothy Zahn interview ended up taking place the day after, the morning after, the Ahsoka episode where where he's like, she's like, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn, right? And so I'm just like freaking out even more so. And we have the interview and it's really good. And it's basic stuff, basic stuff. And then we end the recording and I'm like, oh, like, did you see last night's episode? He's like, yeah, I had no idea they were going to do that. It's crazy. And then for 15 minutes, Timothy Zahn just like goes into his fan theories about what it all could mean. And it's just me on the line. It's just me. And I'm like, this is the best day of my entire life. This is great. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was a really, like, really important thing. It was really, really cool to have that be my first insider piece that came out. Um, and then there's a few pictures and I think he sold out of them now because I still have not, I've not met him in person since then. And I, I've been trying to, all my insider pieces get, get, get signed by whoever I can meet them or see them or whatever. And, um, I want to get him to sign the spread. But if you look at his convention booths, he'll always be signing like a stack of that issue. Like that's part of like his menagerie with like all his books and stuff. I'm like, well, that's really nice. That's cute. Um, so yeah, one day, one day I'll meet Timothy Zahn again. That's awesome. And you were, you were a reader of Insider. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was just, uh, who was I talking to about that with, um, the Bombad cast? Cause they were asking how I heard about Indiana Jones and the first Insider magazine I ever got. It's a dual flip cover. One side is, uh, Ewan McGregor show, show that it was like the premiere of his new look for Attack of the Clones. And it's like, here's Ewan's new look. And it's like the mullet and everyone's like, oh no, the mullet, right? And then it's a flip cover, and then it's 20th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, and so I'm reading the magazine we picked up at the grocery store or whatever, and I'm like, this is great. And, you know, I was like, okay. And then I flip it, and I read about all the Raiders of the Lost Ark stuff. I'm like, oh, there's another George Lucas movie? And I was, what, 10, 9? And it, that was the start of a bunch of stuff. But then I would I would get Insider as much as I could just from comic book shops or newsstands or whatever it was. Uh, and that really kind of shaped, like we were talking about, my love of behind-the-scenes stuff especially. Um, but yeah, it's been really cool to to write for it now, which I still... It's still weird, and it's like... I don't want to say it's not hard to take it for granted, but like it's happening at such like a regular pace now, 
where like every issue I get as a subscriber, I'm like, oh yeah, I wrote that. And that's a weird, that's a very, it's a, a truly odd thing to, to see. Cause I also write them like six months in advance and I don't see any, you know, it's a, so which is how print publication works. And so I kind of forget about it. And then it comes in the mail. I'm like, oh yeah, I did write this like Twilight oral history with, and I interviewed 10 people for it and it took me like, you know, a month. Yeah. That's, that's cool that it's here. So yeah, it's been it's been pretty cool. I actually have issue number two oh seven here. Oh yeah. Which was the one that I somehow miraculously ended up in uh my zine yeah. covers and I remember I got it and I was like having a meltdown because I knew the zines were gonna be in it and I'm looking at it and I'm like, Oh, Brandon wrote two or three things in this. Yeah, that, yeah, that one's an intense one. I need to pull because uh, I think because yes, it was you in it first and honestly I went there because did you DM me maybe asking if there were pictures or no, I can't remember. I, I think we would communicate a little bit of just like, I think you're right. So maybe we've gotten, I got it early or something. Yeah. And I think you might've even said like, no, I want it to be a surprise or something like that. And I was like, okay. Like, <laughs> but then it was a very, I'm, I'm pulling it out now. Cause it wasn't intense. Cause that has not, that has not happened since I, I think I had three. That was crazy. Did I have three? That's too many is the thing. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> of Brandon and one Star Wars Insider. Um, yes, yeah, it's three. It's uh, The Magistrate, it's Deanna Lee and Asanto. It's Drew Struzan, crazy. And then and then they asked me to do a, a, a retrospective for the Old Republic video game, which was cool. Yeah, and then it, um, the, the thing that always gets me now is like whenever one of my articles is like the cover of the magazine, right? And so like this was the subscriber cover was, was the Old Republic... Oh, that is so um, good. But yeah, that was very cool. The only regret I have here was I met Drew Struzan a week before this um, magazine came out, so I was not able to get him to sign it because ah. uh, we had talked, and he was very—it was very nice, and his wife was very nice too. But being like, you know, uh, that he was very happy with that interview, which was very—I was, like, but yeah, that uh, issue two hundred seven, yeah, that's a funny one because that is a pretty intense, that is a good intense one. thing, and we're in it together. So. And I wouldn't ask you to pick a favorite that you've written either, but do you have a, a like a really good pinch me moment from writing for either Insider or StarWars.com? And I'm guessing you're probably going to say Ben Birch. <laughs> yeah, Ben is pretty... We already talked about Ben, so I'm not going to... Uh, um, let me... So here's the other stupid thing that has happened now, Kara, which is because of this... And it, I remember when it first happened, because of Heir to the Empire, uh, the article that someone then made a Wikipedia page for me, right? Because I mean, they're like, okay, like if he's writing, like, so then for a long time, it was just like a couple things, you know, it was like, oh, Robert Watts, Timothy's on, and it's very small. But then people, I get a notification every time it gets updated, I get an email, and um, it gets updated a lot. <laughs> and it's, cra- it's crazy to like scroll through and be like, okay, like, yeah, no, you've done, you've done some stuff, which is, um, which is really something. I, I'm looking at it now. I mean, John Knoll has to be up there, I'm guessing. The John, so the John Knoll two-parter is probably up there because I finagled it, I, I had pitched it, and then I asked ILM PR if that was okay. And they're like, yeah, of course. And they gave me like 20 minutes to talk to him. But I asked questions and he gave great answers. And we just like kept talking and it was an hour. And I felt kind of guilty but he, it wasn't like he was rushing forward or, you know, uh, but I was like, I bet I can make this a two-parter because of how in-depth it is. And I pitched that to my editor and he was like, yeah, let's go for it. 
And so those just both finished. Those those two just came out, and I think it's 217 and 218. Um, and yeah, I'm very proud of that, because I think if you add that all up together, it's like 16, 17 pages of a John Knoll article, which I think is his longest like feature ever, you know, in terms of, like, there's been no, like, John Knoll book or anything like that, uh, John Knoll biography. So um, I'm pretty, pretty happy with that. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, the Ben Burt, Randy Tom, Return of the Jedi 40th article was pretty intense because that was I had flown to uh, California for the Return of the Jedi 40th um, party, which is another we can talk about that, but a truly insane thing that happened to me. It, uh, and uh, I had already been asked by StarWars.com if I could do this. I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I'm dry, I'm in the Uber from the airport to my hotel, and I'm getting emails being like, can you interview them today? And I'm like. I could, sure, let me get to the hotel. So I have like 30 minutes in the Uber, and so I'm like writing my questions, and then I, I text my wife, I call my wife, and I'm like, hey, I need your help, because I'm not in my office, and I don't have all my reference books, like I don't have anything, and so I was like, I need you to, I was like, pull this one out, pull this one out, and then look up a couple of things in some indexes for me, and she just took pictures of like two different Rinsler books, and then the Sounds of Star Wars book, and she sends it all to me, and I like put all the questions together in the car, and I send it to my editor for approval on the questions, and by the time I get to the hotel, like, I'm all ready to go, and I have, like, 20 minutes before the interview starts. Um, but it was nice, because then I could be like, oh, I'll see y'all on Saturday, you know? And they're like, okay, ha And then I did see them on Saturday. I specifically, I saw Ben on Saturday, and one of the things that we had talked about in the interview was uh, the cheese casserole uh, that Ben uses to make the slopping sounds for Job of the Hut, as well as a few other things, but it's his wife's cheese casserole. And so I'm talking to Ben Burt and a couple other people, and then his wife comes up there, and I'm like, oh, is this... this?" Because he had mentioned in the interview that they had just had the cheese casserole like two weeks ago. Like, he was like, oh yeah, she still makes it. We still had it two weeks ago. And so, of course, I'm, love, I'm like, yeah, this is the only thing I care about. This is it. And, um, and then she comes up, and we're talking... And I was like, yeah, I've heard all about it. And she was like, oh, it's not cheese casserole. It's actually macaroni and cheese, like just baked macaroni and cheese. And he's like, oh, I've been saying cheese casserole for 40 years. It was very funny. Um, and then I was trying to get the recipe of the cheese casserole. Uh, and we got so close to, to have that published in the piece. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll send it as an update if I ever get it. Because um, she was like, oh, I have the recipe, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm going to get this recipe from you. Uh, so anyway, that was a pretty, uh, intense, intense thing for sure. Yeah. I feel like surreal would be a good word to. Also during that conversation, it was very, very funny. And again, almost more surreal was someone walked by because it was near the end of the night. Someone walked by us and they were carrying a bunch of uh, clothes hangers, um, because there had been a display and they were cleaning it up. And so they were walking by us with the clothes hangers and she dropped the clothes hangers right next to us. And that kind of made like a clattering sound, and and we were all were helping her pick them up, and Ben Burt was like, "Oh, that, what a fantastic sound!" And then he would he took the hangers from us and then dropped them again so he could like hear the sound again. It was so funny, and I was like, "This is the best day of my entire life." Um, so yeah, it was very uh, again. I keep using the word intense, but that's pr- probably the best way to explain it. It was very intense. That's like exact. That's what my head canon of Ben Burt is. So right. it's great to hear that. Yeah, that's no, what he's very, really like. It was good. Wow. Uh, moving on. How do we move on? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, you, you mentioned you're collecting a little bit, and 
I definitely want to talk to you about your collecting. I was at your panel at Celebration London <laughs> where we dug a little bit into your amazing eBay search history and saved items. So your collecting, I also saw on your website that you collect like non-Star Wars stuff too. But as sure. far as Star Wars goes, like what do you consider your favorite thing to collect for mm. Lucasfilm Star Wars. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about a second ago, where it's kind of more important to me now to collect things that are unique, things that are interesting, things that are more tied to the behind the scenes of it all, um, and things that I can kind of, like, sink my teeth into beyond just, let me complete a collection, let me... And so the, there are a couple elements to specifically my Star Wars collection. One is the books. Um, I try. I collect a bunch of the books. Um, I like autographs a lot, and I'll get them signed by the authors. And then I'll also just like collect autographs in general, um, but very like very hyper specific. They have to be on a specific type of photo, or they have to be like it's very it's awful. Um, so those are kind of the main things. Like if I was at a convention or something that I'd be running around to do. Um, and then the other major thing is just kind of random miscellaneous things that are, uh, related to like the making of Star Wars. So a lot of the crew merch obviously is kind of the joke now with all the Lucasfilm and Skywalker Ranch stuff. Um, but anything there that, that kind of dates back earlier or that again, celebrates the, the people who actually made Star Wars. So like right now, the, the, the modern thing that I'm collecting right now is the uh, Regal Robot concept maquettes, which are pricey, pricey, pricey boys, but are beautiful. Like, they're truly maybe the best Star Wars collectibles ever made, period. Um, and I can't believe I get to own them. Uh, and, the, like, I'm looking at them on my shelf right now. They're like, oh, this is the greatest. Um, and so, yeah, that's a, I, that's that's some of it. I, I feel like if I kept talking, I would think about more. I collect a lot of art. Um, and that was the nature of me both collecting and then now that I worked for Mondo and, um, but a lot of, I like original art. I like posters of varying capacities, not just like, again, the theatrical posters I love and I collect those, but an artist rendering of, of stuff is, is always very interesting to me about how people perceive Star Wars. And yeah, I need to start framing all of that, but I'm looking, I, sorry, next to me, I just have a table of things I've not organized yet in terms of, of new items that I've purchased or that I'm trying to sell. And I've taken hostage of our dining room table that I just took up to my office so I could put it all not on the ground. And so I'm trying to see if there was anything interesting that I bought recently that would illustrate anything, but I think we covered it. I think we covered it pretty well. I know your, your behind the scenes and like source book collection is probably the thing that I covet most. Are you a completionist in that sense? Like for the behind the scenes books and stuff. So I have most of the behind the scenes books there's part of me that really loves the, the the hunt, the art of the chase, you know, because I can buy a lot of it, but I do like, again, the eBaying it, and I also love, we have, it's half price books in Texas, I don't know if that is uh, national, but, but it's like, you know, secondhand bookstores and, and stuff, and I love, I love that, I love finding things there, and so a lot of the stuff, like, there's a few books that I might not have yet, but that I've kind of earmarked or that I've written down that I know are attainable, that I'd rather just, like, get in person, and then, because, like, really the only behind-the-scenes books that I do not have are, like, you can buy them on Amazon or something like that. Or it's, um, what's the, uh, Dressing a Galaxy, Trisha Bigger, is still... 
with the I fabric still need swatches, it. right? Yeah, yeah, well, that one is. Because uh, right now, that's like a $250 book that I really shouldn't buy. If you add the fabric swatches, it comes out to be like $1,000. I don't know. Because, again, I really love kind of the art of the deal and getting a steal on things or, like, getting something uh, that someone mislabeled or, or whatever. And so that's one of those that I'm just kind of always on the lookout for. And then, yeah, the the source books, I've gotten very lucky to have collected them at a time when they weren't as impossible to get. And they aren't impossible, quote-unquote, but they are they are pricey depending on, on who's selling them and where you are. Um, I definitely don't have a complete collection. I'm nowhere close to that. Um, but that is a fun thing for me to just like always kind of be like, oh yeah, I can pick up one of these for $20 and keep adding to the the collection over time and continue to... Because they are probably... That and all the, you know, big hardcover coffee table books are the two, like, things I reference the most, probably, in terms of just general Star Wars storytelling and also, like, how the story was told, so. Definitely, especially, like, uh, the Tashin archives. I was, like, super hesitant to buy those um, just because of the price tag, but then when I did get them, I think I waited for one of the little sales, you know? But it's so usable like for research and stuff and not to mention it's stunning but yeah Yeah. the prequel one especially with that concept art it's like it's life altering you know yeah again talking about Terrell Whitlatch there's some crazy Terrell Whitlatch stuff in there that I'd never seen before and I was like oh okay uh, let's just ruin my life a little bit this is crazy so so good and do you have like a holy grail item something that you are always on the lookout for or is it kind of just like um, maybe something you haven't seen? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of Holy Grail. Because um, for a while, what did I just get? That was that was a Holy Grail. Um, the Yoda hat, um, which you can see behind me, is uh, was kind of like what I was always looking for in that specific color in that specific year. And one finally popped up. I paid a tiny bit too much for it, but I still have never seen it since. So I'm happy that I did that. And let's see. What's my current Holy Grail? Sometimes I don't like to, like, spill the beans. Then <laughs> That's totally understandable. Other... No, no, no. But, I, but I'll spill the beans here if if needed. Let's see. The thing that's really getting me now, right, is, you know, I'm very lucky to be comfortable enough in my job and, and what I have, blah, 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 that now I'm like, oh, do I start doing prop props like prop replicas are great but like do i start bidding a little bit more on prop store stuff because you know if you can either buy a hundred action figures or you can buy one you know real prop from a movie that you love and we're getting close we're getting i don't think it's this year maybe it's next year um i will be in la and they are doing like a uh you can you can go view the current auction at Prop Stores Gallery, and I'm very tempted to like schedule a time just to go look at stuff up close. But I don't want to like even tempt tempt fate because I went through the whole catalog for the new one. And I'm like, ooh, like four thousand dollars for a Ralph McQuarrie drawing. Like, yeah, I could probably I could probably sell some stuff to pay for that. You know what I mean? It's like, no, that's a bad way of thinking. I don't need to be dealing with that right now. So that's so funny because. Uh, the only other person that I've talked to for the show so far is another collector, and he said his holy grail would be a screen-used item. So that's funny. There we go. No, it's there's because again, like you can get Darth Vader's costume for a bunch of money, but you can also get like one 
Peruvian arrow from the beginning of Rage of the Lost Ark for like three thousand dollars. Like maybe that's not terrible. Like sure, you know maybe. So that's kind of where I'm at. We'll see. One day, one day, everyone will know exactly. Because that's the other problem with with the prop store auctions. People would know exactly how much I spent on something, which I don't want people to know that sometimes. That's so. true. Yeah, you don't want to rat yourself out like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So moving in to the four questions that I'm asking everyone that comes on the show. I'm calling it the fandom final four because okay. I'm naming everything as of now. Uh-huh. So let's get into it. These are my four like favorite questions to ask other Star Wars fans. First question. Do you have a favorite memory or an experience that you had being a Star Wars fan that will stick with you forever? Probably more than one, but like a favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's funny you ask that now because I'm sure the answer would have been different two, three weeks ago, but but that Return of the Jedi 40th anniversary party was was truly insane. And to give background to people listening, I somehow was invited to the 40th anniversary celebration party that was crew-only invite. Um, kind of offhandedly when I was interviewing, and it all ended up actually happening. I actually got the invitation. I was like, okay, like let's actually do this i guess so i flew out and was able to go to skywalker ranch the day before which is also that was insane as well um and then the day of the party i drove myself to 3210 studios is what it's called now but it was the original ilm building and where they filmed all the stuff starting with empire um all the way until about like crystal skull time and it was everybody was there. It was every, every, all the, all the boys and girls were there. Uh, I was able to go into the original model shop and, and check it out. And the main stage and the original THX theater where everyone watched the dailies and um, got to meet Marsha Lucas. And uh, it was just like a weird day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but really, like, like if I never did anything Star Wars again, like that would be enough. That would be it. And uh, and yeah, that might be that might be the moment. Now, that's hard to top for sure. I think that's a really good answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Question number two: What is your favorite wacky or niche part of Star Wars fan culture? Mm, that's a good question. Um. So again, I, it's not. You know, the term Glup Shido got thrown around a bunch recently. And it kind of like, I was kind of like, oh, do I have any Glup Shidos anymore? Because, like, most characters are, like, pretty, you know, people know. Like, Salacious Crumb is not a Glup Shido anymore. You know what I mean? Like, everyone knows Salacious Crumb. And so, again, I kind of go back to, like, the behind-the-scenes people of it all. Because I love them. I love the crazy people who are trying to, like, screen match props and blah 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 there's all these incredible facebook groups of people that are very into the minutia of star wars um which i love and i really appreciate that and i really gravitate towards that again it's something that has been talked about to death really for 45 years right like finding those angles of star wars is so important now because you do then get to craft the new myth the new storytelling and also kind of like figure out exactly what you gravitate towards and so it's all these little Facebook groups that I'm in that are like, oh, actually, there's a really good TikTok account now that, like, the day after the Mandalorian episode will air, he'll be like, oh, if you want a $20 Star Wars prop, you can buy this cup that they used in the background here. I found it. And I'm like, you're a great guy. I love you. Like, what a what a, what a a pal. And I don't buy any of them, but it's just a funny, like, 
that's what I like. Do do more. People should do more of that. Like I really, I, I really think that finding that elevated creative fandom, and I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to the example of that. Really, um, is so important to to figuring out why why you're again. It's a we all like a Disney movie. You know what I mean? Like it's like it doesn't need our help. But but I think figuring out where you fall in that fandom and where you fall in that story is very important. And again, so I, I really gravitate towards the people that are kind of just doing their own thing and making their own Etsy shop or like doing their own stupid thing on TikTok. I'm like, great, keep keep this going, please. So that's so true. Like, or uh, I think of like pin makers, like Nerd Matters, making yeah. the pin of the C3PO tape dispenser, which I have obviously yeah. of course you know yeah, that kind I of have their, i have their yoda hat one right behind me oh genius uh, yeah no, they're great they, they, all of them are so funny and i'm like yes good more more please do this i totally agree yeah like the you know the next day there's people cosplaying as like the jeans guy from mandalorian right <laughs> poor jeans guy uh okay this one i don't even know what your answer will be for this one Uh-oh. i'm very Uh-oh. very interested but if you could go back in time to a star wars event over the past 46 years what would it be and why i it would have to be something during filming because i would just be really cool to be so it'd probably be at well elstree studios probably i would love to see i guess maybe the original original movie being filmed and it's just like a nightmare right now just like <laughs> freaking out it would be interesting to be there the day that lucas tells out guinness that he's killing off obi-wan that could be interesting that could be an interesting day maybe the cantina day like the original not the one they because they did reshoots in california um with rick baker and, and team but i think the original cantina day would be fun day with all the aliens running around and stuff or uh, or Java's Palace Day for Return of the Jedi. One of those, one of those filming days. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a, a two-part answer, but but something along those lines. That's so good. Every time I think of the filming of A New Hope, I just think of George being hospitalized with chest pains. And but then when you read about the making, it's like no, that makes that perfectly tracks. Yeah. Like it was stressful. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good answer. And okay, final question. What does being a Star Wars fan mean to you? Oh, dang. Um, I mean, really, at the end of the day, it really has been, like, the friendships that I've made and the relationships that I've had. And being part of a community has been very rewarding because that community has been so welcoming and so much fun. So, you know, again, I gravitate towards the people that are weird like me about all of this, and that's very important to me and also keeps me sane with a lot of the discourse and with all the talking is like no the people that just like like star wars because it's wacky is is what i love and so i made some really great friends uh you included kara and it's been very rewarding in that sense to be able to have star wars be both a part of my life but also like something that i can share with people um and reciprocate that and so that's that's kind of it. And again, it's it's really provided me some extraordinary opportunities that I never would have imagined um, that I'm very, very lucky um, to have. Well, we are all proud of you. You're doing <laughs> Thank great. You. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> and the listeners will be able to find links to all of the, all things Brandon in the Uh-oh. show notes. 
Uh, where can people find you on social media or follow you? Yeah, um, you can follow me personally actually, at actually Brandon anywhere, Twitter and Instagram especially, um, and then talking ninety four anywhere, especially Twitter and Instagram and talking ninety four dot com. So I just kind of run around, hang out, and then yeah, I'm in Insider every so often and StarWars.com every so often if you want to read more of my stuff and some other projects to be announced. So. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. This is a big moment in my Star Wars life. And oh, I can't I'm wait. happy to share it with you, sir. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, and if I've not gushed enough, both publicly and privately, to what you do, it is, it, again, it is probably one of the best Star Wars things that any fan is doing anywhere. So I'm excited to see what this next uh, iteration is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Into a Larger World, the podcast, created and hosted by Kara DJ and produced by me, Travis Bryant, at Force Time. Follow the show on Instagram at Into a Larger World Project and support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash into a larger world. Have a Star Wars fandom story to tell? Send an email to intoalargerworldproject at gmail.com and you can be featured on an upcoming episode. Subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you listen to podcasts. Until we meet again, may the Force be with you.